0: Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and the bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message.
1: So how's the letter coming? You know, I thought a lot about what I wish my younger self would have known. And I realized that it's what I need to remind myself of every day right now. Because in spite of what Mike said, maybe Mike lives in a different place, maybe some of you do live in a different place, but I, I am always dealing with regret. There's always things that I could have done different. And I've so much appreciated this message series. This is the the wrap-up message, and and I just thought this would be a good time for us just to kind of remember, what are some of the things that we have learned from our Savior how to deal with regret? What is the Dear Younger Me messages? So we started on uh, Ash Wednesday, where we were reminded that we can leave regret behind that uh, the tax collector in the temple, he beat his breast, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And sometimes we think that to live a Christian life, that's where we should live, is in this just constant state of regret and, and feel bad about ourselves. And that's not the way that story ends. The story ends with Jesus saying that this man, this tax collector, went home justified. That he walked out of the temple not beating his breast, God have mercy on me, a sinner, but he walked out with head and hands held high in praise of the God who has graciously forgiven him. Brothers and sisters, in Christ we can leave regret. Behind the first Sunday we studied King David and, and in looking at King David, we realized it's really hard to leave regret behind because we, we live with the painful consequences of the decisions that we've made and, and it's especially difficult when we see that pain in other people and so what did King David do? he, he claimed that forgiveness the Lord had said the Lord has put away your sin. But then as he dealt with the the consequences of his sinful decision, his son would die, what did he do? It was too heavy a burden for him to carry on his own. He took it to the Lord in prayer. As you see the, the painful consequences of your decisions, take it to the Lord in prayer. And then what did King David do? He continued to trust in his savior God even when God in his wisdom said, I'm not gonna answer the way that you would like. The child still died, right? And then he got up and praised the Lord in the temple. How do we deal with the pain? It's claim forgiveness, cast that pain that especially we see in other people into the Lord's arms because he can carry it and then trust that he's answering your prayers as he knows best. The next week we followed Judas and Peter. Judas tried to fix his regret, right? He took the silver that he'd gotten for betraying Jesus and he took it back to the, the, the priests and, and said, you know, can I undo what I've done? Can I fix it? And there was no fixing the betrayal. And so Judas' solution was, then I must be the problem. And he went out and killed himself. Peter did something just as horrible, right? And what did Peter do in his pain? The lesson ends with, he went up, out and wept bitterly. And somebody in our ministerial team meeting, when we studied this text, just made this great comment. Sometimes all you can do is cry. Just to admit it hurts. It hurts, and it's okay to cry in the midst of your regret. But middle of the way through, we had a conversation, Pastor Bonak and I, and. Uh, We we went back to the Garden of Eden. And remember Pastor Bonach's great memory device. I love that. Guilt is God's gift to us to to help us, you know, come to repentance and change. But shame is Satan's, uh, oh, I always forget that second S. Satan's subtle subterfuge, or something like that, of our faith. But Satan's behind it. And we saw in the garden that God didn't want Adam and Eve to hide it. God revealed what was causing them shame, not to increase their shame, but to give them healing in, in the, the seed of the woman who would crush Satan's head. We don't have to hide it. And I especially appreciate last week's message with this whole idea that you're not the only one. Man, that's a common lie. How many times have you walked through those doors or watched on TV and thought, I'm the only one who's struggling. And so the Apostle Paul led us into his heart and he he let us know that we're not the only one, that this is just the way it is for us as Christians, but that with Paul we can claim that forgiveness again and and know that the new identity, the the real us, is that part of us that wants to do God's will. And now today, as we wrap it up, we get to take a look at the Apostle Paul's Dear Younger Me letter. Did you know that? That, that, that Paul was way ahead of his time he wrote a Dear Younger Me letter. And today we're going to see that his, his, his message at the beginning of this Dear Younger Me letter is, let God be glorified in it. The, the Dear Younger Me letter is First Timothy. You see, the Apostle Paul, near the end of his ministry, he spent two years in prison in Rome, about 60 to 62 A.D., we know that he was released, and after he was released, he headed east and, and visited some of the churches that he was, uh, had established earlier, one of them being Ephesus. And he left his young protege, Timothy, there in Ephesus. And, and then Paul moved on to what we would call northern Greece, it was Macedonia at the time. And as he's in Macedonia, Paul writes his own Dear Younger Me letter. He's writing to a younger version of himself, Timothy, and says, these are the things that I want you to know now so that you don't have to learn them later. And in the first chapter, the the key thing that he does, does is, I want you to know how to deal with regret. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter one. This must be a Freudian slip because I regret that I wrote too. it's supposed to be chapter one, sorry. I just saw that last service, how many times have I looked at that slide? But it's 1 Timothy chapter one. Let's read it responsibly. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and now this is the the heart and core of what we need to walk away with from this Dear Younger Me message series dealing with regret. I pray that it becomes part of your... your your repertoire of memorized passages. Let's read it together. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Now, I'm gonna start with this last sentence because this last sentence is very unusual in the New Testament. You and I very often think about Jesus as our king, right? We even celebrate Christ the King Sunday in our church. But the New Testament never calls Jesus King. All the way through during the New Testament times. Oh, he's called King as he's hung on the cross. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews and and everybody ridicules him as the King. But Jesus is not called King by the Apostle Paul all the way through his letters by all the other apostles. He is not called king until John sees visions of Jesus coming back on the last day. In Revelation 17 and 19, John sees Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. On the last day, we will see him as king. But throughout the New Testament, this is the only place that God is called king. The only verse, here and then again, right at the end of the Dear Younger Me letter in First Timothy chapter six. And, and this is not a reference to the Son of God. It's not a reference to the second person of the Trinity. There's nothing that would indicate, oh, this is, this is Jesus' king. What Paul is talking about is, is the, the entirety of the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is king. And when a word is used like this, this is the only time, it's like, "Why? Holy Spirit must have some reason behind that, don't you think? And as I thought about it, I, I think what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's setting up this sharp contrast, because just take a look at, at the, the different ways that God has described. First of all, he's the king. Uh, the king who's never suffered defeat, right? He is eternal, and literally, it's, he is king of the ages. And I love that idea, king of the ages. You and I deal with regret because we couldn't see the future back in the past, and we made decisions that we regret and, and even now, it, we just wish that we could see into the future as we make today's decisions because there are decisions that we make today that, that we're going to regret tomorrow. And if we could just see tomorrow, maybe that would help us make better decisions today. But our God is king of the ages. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He is so different than us. He is immortal. Immortal. He does not decay. He does not go away. He lives forever. He is invisible. And, and in 1 Timothy six, where Paul, right at the end of the commissioning of, of, the, of the dear younger me apostle, or dear younger me Timothy, he, he, he expands on this idea of the invisible—that that Jesus or that God lives. Uh, in unapproachable light that no one has seen him, no one can see him. He is so wholly, completely different than us. He is way up here. There is this vast difference between us and this only God. And I'll contrast that with the way the Apostle Paul describes himself. I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. And they go, yeah, that pretty much describes Paul. Blaspheme, Jesus, you know, he he ridiculed the idea that Jesus was the way. You know, he he persecuted Christians before he came to faith. He he arrested men and women and threw them in prison just for their, their faith in Jesus. He was a violent man. He was there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was put to death. He, he was there giving approval. He was there when other Christians were executed simply because they believed that Jesus died and rose again and was their savior. Blasphemer, persecutor, violent man. Yep, that's Paul. And just think of this vast gulf between this God who is so completely different and this horrible sinner down here. A vast Golf. I think that's what Paul's bringing out. And as I look at those three words, I go, I think that's me too. Blasphemer. Persecutor. Violent person. There's a passage in Romans chapter 2 that just always haunts my conscience. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. How many times in your life have people watched what you have done and said and in their mind they could, they could just simply go, if that's the way Jesus' followers are like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. God's name is blasphemed because of you. Certainly true of me. Persecutor. Persecution is more than just, uh, you know, throwing somebody in prison. Persecution can be, be super critical and, and just taking the joy out of life for somebody. And a violent man, violent person, maybe we, we aren't physically violent, but People have seen us lose our temper, haven't they? They've seen that kind of violence in our emotions. There is a great gulf between this God who is so completely separate from me and this blasphemer and persecutor and violent man. I think about this description and I I go back to high school. You know, I was, I was like so many other kids in middle school and high school, we, we tend to go in packs at that stage in life, don't we? You know, we, we form these, these packs of, of friends and very often a pack will choose to target one individual. I mean, that's certainly what happened that day at the foot of the cross, right? Why is it that everybody could ridicule Jesus because well, everybody else was, so it's easy to go along? I think about a, a young woman in our high school. I went to a Christian high school. She graduated from a Christian high school. There are a bunch of blasphemers and persecutors and violent people. And I wonder if she lost her faith because of us. I don't think I'm the only one who deals with regret because I've heard so many people talk about how this message series has resonated There's this great gulf between this God who is up there and those of us who are down here filled with regret. Now, I'd like to change the picture. I'd like to to use the Hone Bridge because that's such a nice visual picture of we're on one side and and, uh, God is on the other. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't write to his younger me his protege Timothy, to make him feel guilty. And Paul didn't write to Timothy to say, hey, Timothy, look at me. Look at how I have changed. This is what I once was, but now I am a servant of the king. Look at how I have changed myself. He's not bragging about himself. There is this great gulf that separated Paul from this God who was completely separate. And Paul couldn't build the bridge and you and I can't build the bridge. The Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, to us, to remind us that the bridge has already been built. Let's read that bridge together. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The bridge is there. The more you understand your reasons for regret and and that, that God is wholly other, the more you will appreciate that Jesus is that bridge that he was the king who was willing to suffer and die for us he didn't come down from the cross and save us he built that bridge so that you and i are connected with this god who is so different from us but we're united he didn't brag and boast about himself The, the goal was not look at how well i am dealing with regret look at how I have changed from my past the goal was to bring light to that bridge now I chose the Hone Bridge because the Hone Bridge happens to be lit at night isn't it and Paul's purpose and your and my purpose is simply to bring that bridge to light in the darkest times of the people around us. Paul wrote, but for this very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is the godly way to deal with regret. Not to live in it. Not to be overwhelmed by it. Not to hide it. Not to boast about it. But to be honest and and admit our regret so that we bring that bridge to light because you know what we're not the only ones who live in the darkness of regret every person around you deals with things that they regret and they are so often living in this place of darkness and you don't have to build a bridge it's already built all you get to do All you have to do is be the light that brings the bridge that God has made visible to the people in your area of influence. The Apostle Paul said it, but for this very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. God has made us beautiful, not because we have nothing to regret, but because he has made us lights for the bridge that our God has built. Amen. Let's bow our heads.
0: Great God and Lord, Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you today with thanksgiving and praise that you are the King of the ages. That means that you saw younger me. That means that you see me. That means that you see future me. And as the King of the ages, you sent your Son to die for all of me to build the bridge to you through his blood shed on the cross for the sins of the world, his blood shed for me. So as we write this letter, with your help, O Holy Spirit, dear younger me, help us remember each and every day that Jesus built the bridge we need, that Jesus is the bridge we need through the amazing forgiveness of sins and the grace of our God. Let us live our life free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free from regret, only wiser with joy because of your love and your forgiveness all through faith in Jesus our Savior. And great God and Lord, as we pray all these things today about ourselves and about you, we also ask that you would be with all of your people across the face of this earth all of your people in this room today and online with us around your word. We ask that you would fill us with the peace of your forgiveness and fill us with the hope that the world can't take away. And may we live every day for you, our Savior and our Lord. And now, Heavenly Father, we ask you to hear the prayers of your people as we gather them together before you in the words of the prayer your Son taught us to pray. And we pray as God's people, words on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And now receive with believing hearts the blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. And together the people of God say, Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ Sermon Podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.